Well, today for the memorial of St. John Vianney, I'd like to focus on the, the first reading and also on the responsorial psalm, uh, the psalm especially. We have had two very heavy hitters, back-to-back heavy hitters. St. Alphonsus Liguori, 18th century um, priest confessor, uh, and then St. John Vianney, the 19th century priest confessor. One Italian, one French. And uh, as I said um, when I was speaking about uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, it was because of St. Alphonsus Liguori's um, treatise on moral theology uh, that St. John Vianney was to become uh, an exceptional uh, confessor. Uh, Again, there are... There are almost no words to express the, the greatness of St. John Vianney. He uh, came uh, in, a, in a time that was very troublesome. It was the French Revolution. He grew up under the reign of terror when priests were being killed by the thousands. French priests were being beheaded by the thousands. And religious houses were being emptied out. And um, it was a horrendously terrible time for the church in France. And uh, he grew up with his parents sneaking from farmhouse to farmhouse in the French countryside, uh, attending uh, Mass in secret. And the priests who were celebrating Mass and administering the sacraments in secret became his heroes, and so he wanted to become a priest. So uh, in uh, 1802, I think, um, Napoleon uh, took over and came into power, and that was bad in many ways, but it was good in many ways too because he had some kind of an agreement with the church so he allowed the faith to be practiced again in France. And so pretty much all the priests kind of came out of hiding in 1802 and St. John Vianney was able to go to seminary and uh, and become a priest. And his first, uh, this man's penances that he did were so extraordinary, uh, it's nothing short of miraculous. Um, he lived into his 70s, so he lived into a pretty good old age, but he... Uh, he was so severe on his uh, to his body that you know no one really could live uh, could do what he did and live. He would eat essentially like a potato, a boiled potato, like one a day or one every two or three days. That's what he lived on. Okay, and uh, he slept on the floor. He 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 developed some kind of really bad skin condition by sleeping on the stone in the basement of the rectory. So he went up to the attic <laughs> and he slept on the wooden planks in the attic and he had like a, a log of wood for his pillow. And um, he used what they refer to as the discipline, which is like self-flagellation. And to this day, you can go to ours and you can see blood sp- splattered on the wall from his own blood, from his usage of the discipline. Uh, and his first parish assignment, he was under a pastor, and his pastor was also very uh, severe in his penances. And so St. John Vianney wrote into their bishop, I, and basically told on his pastor, I think, my, I think Pastor so-and-so is being too severe in his penances. Well, un- unbeknownst to St. John Vianney, the pastor was doing the same thing to St. John Vianney. He wrote into the bishop, I think my new uh, you know, associate priest is being too severe <laughs> in his penances. And the bishop said, both of you guys are crazy. I'm not going to take any, you know, uh, any action against either of you. Um, but St. John Vianney, when he became a pastor, he went to Ars, a small town. The number of inhabitants in this town was 250 people. That's it. Tiny, tiny town. And it was 
uh, there was no one going to church. They had a small church. It was about a quarter of the size of this church. Again, you can go still go to there to this day and see how small the church is. They had to add on uh, huge amounts of space, uh, space to it. Originally, the church was about probably a third or a quarter of the size of this church. And it had about 250 inhabitants. And after about 30, uh, 40, I mean, he, he brought repentance and conversion to that town very quickly. But his, his reputation for sanctity was so great that after about 30 or 40 years, there were upwards of 20,000 people a year passing through uh, ours. Uh, so you're talking about a town that's so small, it's got 250 people, and then there were, it would see, it would come to see 20,000 a year who would come to visit St. John Vianney and to see him uh, preach, uh, but especially to go to confession to him. He was known as a confessor. He, uh, in the, uh, when there was more um, lights, in the, in, uh, let's say, say this, in wintertime, he would hear confessions for 11 hours a day. And then in the, when there was more light, he would hear confessions up to 16 hours a day. And he did this for like 25, 30 years straight. Okay? Uh, most priests are exhausted after hearing confessions for two hours. It's exhausting. He would do it for at least 11 hours every day. He slept just a few hours um, every night. And he had an amazing love of God and a love for uh, souls. And everybody loved him in turn. And he worked many miracles. He could read souls, so you'd go into confession to him, and if you were hiding a sin from him, he'd know it, and so he'd actually be able to tell you sins that you were hiding or that you had forgotten. Um, so let's talk a little bit about confession, I think. It's appropriate given uh, we're celebrating St. John Vianney, a great confessor. In our first reading, we hear about the new covenant that God is going to make with Israel, and it's not going to be like the covenant that was made with them on Mount Sinai through Moses. It's going to be new because it's going to be interior. The old covenant was exterior. It was laws written on stone tablets. The new covenant is interior. It's in our heart. It is to be identified with grace. Grace is one of the most important categories of thought for Christian uh, theology. Grace is that mysterious link that unites us to God. And it is our salvation. No one who is in a state of grace can be saved. So grace is the foundation for salvation. Now we go to the responsorial psalm and we see a lot of talk about this whole interior dimension of grace. A clean heart create for me, O God. This is, this is David speaking after he has committed a mortal sin. The mortal sin of uh, adultery with Bathsheba, killing Uriah, and so now he's in a stage of repentance, and he's asking God to restore that grace that he lost through mortal sin. Create a clean heart. Send your Holy Spirit back into my heart. Give me back the joy of your salvation. Um, and then he says, My sacrifice, O God, is not burnt offerings, but a contrite heart. So let's talk about contrition. Because if we have lost the grace of God through mortal sin, the only way for us to regain that grace is through contrition. There's no other way. Unless we have authentic contrition, self-restoration of grace is not possible. 
So it's absolutely imperative for us to understand what contrition is. First of all, contrition, generally speaking, is defined as sorrow of soul for sin committed and the hatred of that sin. So sorrow and hatred of that sin with, and this is key, the firm purpose, the firm intention of not committing the sin again. So it's three components to it. Sorrow, hatred of the sin, and then the purpose of not committing the sin again. Theologians talk about four characteristics uh, that are proper to true and authentic contrition. First of all, it's interior. And we see this uh, create a clean heart. It's an interior reality. Okay, It naturally expresses itself in works of penance. And if a few weeks ago you remember me speaking about how works of penance are uh, sort of an integral part of true contrition, talked about the verse from Matthew where Jesus talks about they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But in any event, even if the contrite person does not have time to express those outward acts, he might have, he, he can still have true contrition because it is an interior reality. And if we can recall our act of contrition that we all learned when we were kids, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended you. Heartily. It's in the heart. So that's the first characteristic is that it's interior. The second is that it's supernatural. The motive for our sorrow has to be supernatural. And that's in contrast to a natural motive. For example, we might be ashamed of our sin and sorry for it because we disappointed our mother. Okay, that's not a bad, you know, I mean, that's not a bad thing to be ashamed of disappointing your mother. But that's not true supernatural motive. Okay, you might be ashamed because you're, you know, you robbed a bank and your picture's going to get put in the newspaper. Okay, so you're sorry that you, you robbed the bank because your picture's going to be in the newspaper. Uh, I mean, that's reasonable to have that kind of shame, you know. And uh, if that kind of shame uh, helps you avoid the sin in the future, well, that's good. But that's not true contrition. True contrition is motivated by a supernatural motive, and that is one or one of two things. Either, and this is to be preferred, perfect contrition is sorrow because we have sinned against God whom we love. We have broken our love relationship with God, and that's why we're sorry about our sin. That's the higher motive, but also if we are afraid of going to hell. That's a legitimate motive. That's a supernatural motive. Okay, that's called attrition. It's it's a sorrow for sin of a lesser, you know, uh, dignity, um, but it's valid. And in the sacrament of reconciliation, that can affect true restoration of grace. So we, we're sorry, and if we think again of the act of contrition, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended you, and I detest all my sins because of your because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most of all because my sins have offended you, my God, whom I should love above all things. Okay, so interior, supernatural, and it has to be universal. I detest all my sins. Doesn't work if you walk into the confession and you've got three mortal sins on your conscience. And you're going to confess two of them, but not the third. If you willingly, intentionally withhold that third sin, you do not have true contrition and your and grace is not restored to you. So it's got to be all sins that you're conscious of. If you forget sins, that's a different story. But if you intentionally conceal sins and you're not sorry for that sin, but you're sorry for this one, it doesn't work. It's not true contrition. And then finally, the contrition needs to be sovereign. And that is that you need to intend not to do it again and you should prefer any evil, including your own death, 
to committing that sin again. It's got to be so strong that, that your hatred for that sin has got to be so strong that you would prefer any evil, including your own death, before you commit that sin again. Well, my brothers and sisters, on this memorial of St. John Vianney, let's turn to the Lord and ask through St. John Vianney's prayers that God would grant all of us, our brothers and sisters, our family members, our fellow parishioners, and all the people here in our parish territory, the grace of true contrition.